As many of you probably know, humanism has been declining in Unitarian Universalist churches for the last several decades. Thirty years ago, some 75% of Unitarian Universalists identified as humanists. But in a poll taken within a few years ago, that number was down to 45%. I'm sure there are several reasons for that. But one of them is, I believe at least, that we humanists are thought to lack feelings. We are supposedly all head and no heart. For several years, uh, I taught a course at Meadville Lombard Theological School on religious humanism. The uh, seminary is the Unitarian Universalist Seminary in Chicago. And one of the criticisms that my students uh, gave uh, about uh, humanism was the fact that they said uh, too many humanists are all head and no heart. Um, the uh, preliminaries leading up to this address, the previous things that have been going on the last half hour, convinced me that that is not true of this congregation. <laughs> <laughs> there is nothing inherent in humanism that says we are to exclude our feelings. We can experience and emphasize the importance of reason and critical thinking without having to give up our emotional life, as you well know. In fact, uh, recent studies have shown that thinking and feeling are not totally separate. They work together. Our thinking is infused with our emotions. The famous humanist Bertrand Russell once said that the good life is guided by knowledge and motivated by love, head and heart. As you know, humanism is often divided into religious and secular humanism. But religious and secular humanism pretty much agree on the basic meaning and basic beliefs and convictions of humanism. The major difference, it seems to me, is not so much what they believe, but in the way they practice humanism. Religious humanists emphasize the importance of belonging to a community. That's why you're here this morning, isn't it? One of the reasons, anyway. Religious humanists emphasize the, the community where beliefs can be shared and values supported and encouraged, where people find friends who have similar views where they can work together for social justice. Um, and also where they can celebrate, or we can celebrate, passages of life, birth, marriage, death. Religious humanists tend to be more open than secular humanists, at least in my experience, this seems to be the case, to feeling awe and wonder at the natural world. And they find spiritual or religious meaning in nature. And religious humanists place more value on emotions and personal experience. I like to say that religious humanism is humanism with a heart. The word religious turns a lot of people off, a lot of humanists, especially because they associate religious with belief in the supernatural God. Obviously, when I use the word religious, and when you do, uh, I do not mean belief in God. One scholar has a book entitled, Religion is Not About God. He maintains that religion is about personal wholeness and social cohesion. And it took him 500 pages to, to convince me that he, <laughs> that he knew what he was talking about. The word religion comes, of course, from a Latin word meaning uh, to bind together. Humanism is religious because it binds people together and helps people reconnect with the things that are most important in our lives, human beings and human values. So religious humanism is about community. The important thing, however, is not whether we use the word religious or not, but whether humanism gives meaning and purpose and direction to our lives. 
and many of us have found that it does. I like what a friend of mine, has, uh, a retired engineer, has written. He said, it's taken me the greater part of a quarter of a century to sort out what I think humanism is all about. The short answer is, in finding humanism, I've also found my own humanity. My humanism informs me that I am genuinely and fully human. My humanism informs me that I am a worthy individual and a worthy person of whatever community I find myself in. By my humanism, he goes on, I know myself to be ethical, religious, and civic-minded. My humanism helps me avoid falling into despair. It helps me find a healthy sense of certainty in the face of meaninglessness, competence in the face of futility, and self-confidence in the face of alienation or condemnation. Mary mentioned that I had written uh, two books. Actually, uh, Mary, there's been a third one since we were here last. Uh, and in that book I wrote, I am a religious humanist because I believe life is lived best in a community with others who share similar values and purposes and goals. I'm a religious humanist because I believe we need one another to help to diminish our sorrows and to increase our joys. I'm a religious humanist because I find it meaningful to celebrate life's passages with people who share my values. Nevertheless, I don't feel strongly about using the word religious to modify humanism. As one of my former colleagues said, secular humanism is my religion. <laughs> so if you're uncomfortable with the word religious humanism, the word phrase religious humanism, we'll take some consolation from what he said. Religious humanism emphasizes reason and critical thinking, but it also has a central place for love and compassion, for spirituality and tolerance. It is the humanism of the heart as well as of the head, the mind, and it is committed to social justice. Some of you have probably read one or more of the books by the so-called New Atheists, Attacking Belief in God and Questioning the Value of Religion, books by Sam Harris, uh, Richard Dawkins, <coughs> Daniel Dennett, and the late Christopher Hitchens. There is much to commend these works. They have managed quite well to tear down the edifice of traditional supernatural religion, but they have failed to offer anything to take its place. They have lumped all religious perspectives together and denounced them all as intellectually invalid and morally reprehensible. My work begins where the books just cited and end by offering a positive and affirming view of life without a supernatural deity. I believe it is not enough to be critical of traditional religion and religious belief unless you can offer something to replace it. That's the difference between mere atheism, which is negative, and humanism, which is positive and affirming. Humanism is much more than atheism. Atheism means denying the existence of a supernatural God, but we human beings seek meaning and purpose, and we want to know how to live happy and fulfilling lives. Humanism offers those things. So I talk and write about what humanism affirms, not what it denies, but about humanism as a morally responsible and joyous way of living. In fact, my latest book is entitled Becoming More Fully Human, and the subtitle is Religious Humanism as a Way of Life. Uh, I, 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 most of the books that I've read about, about humanism, and I've read quite a few, and many good ones. Most of them deal with humanism as a philosophy, and that's important, and that's legitimate. But very few deal with humanism as a way of living. 
So I wanted to write about a more practical guide to living well as a humanist. And that's what this third book is all about. I have a few copies with me. If any of you want to buy some, I'll be around after the... <laughs> uh, yes, you know, that's a, not the reason for coming here, but it's a little byproduct. <laughs> I think it is very important that we humanists emphasize humanism as a positive philosophy. To me, humanism is not primarily about the supernatural beliefs we reject. That may be our starting point. It certainly was for me. But it is more than that. Humanism is about the values we stand for. And we stand for human well-being, human flourishing. We stand for social justice and equity for all people. For these affect the quality of the life of everyone. Humanism is about the worth and dignity of every human being. It is about respecting persons and caring about one another's well-being, about greater economic equality, about racial and sexual justice. Too often we humanists have been silent on social issues. That was another criticism uh, that my students in my humanism class gave of humanism. But we humanists care about human beings. If we do, then we will care about social justice. Social justice issues are moral problems where our voices need to be heard and our actions need to be felt. A humanism with a heart is a caring humanism. Many people erroneously think that since humanists do not believe in a supernatural God, that we therefore are not moral beings. We don't believe in anything. We are immoral. Nothing could be further from the truth, as you well know. We have a lot of important moral beliefs. In my latest book, I list 25 different beliefs and convictions that most humanists have. Convictions that most of you have, too, whether you consider yourself a humanist or not. These include affirming the value and dignity of every human being, that we should treat other people as ends and not as means to our own end. But, uh, in other words, we should not exploit others or manipulate others for something that we want. We believe in the importance of social justice and equal opportunity for all people. We believe that no one should be discriminated against because of race, skin color, beliefs, sexual orientation, nationality, or the language they speak. We believe in the importance of preserving our natural environment, as you attested to this morning in the skits. We believe in the importance of preserving our natural environment and in reducing the causes of global warming. We believe that people are born neither good nor evil, but educable, and that the way they are brought up and socialized has a lot to do with the kind of person they, be they become. We believe that love understood as caring for others and seeking the well-being of others is essential to individual happiness and to a good society. We believe in the importance of democracy, the idea that everyone in every organization should have an equal voice. We believe in the importance of education, especially education that teaches you how to think critically. We believe in the importance of science, which has increased enormously our understanding of the world and of ourselves. We believe that the way to be happy and to find life meaningful is to make a positive contribution to the world in whatever ways we can. We believe that this life is the only one we have and that we ought to make the most of it. Many of us believe a lot of other things, but these are some of the most important beliefs of us so-called unbelievers. I hate that word applied to humanists, by the way, and therefore I have this chapter in this work, in this book, uh, becoming more fully human chapters entitled, We Are Not Unbelievers. <laughs> and therefore, that 
that precedes the 25 beliefs that I list. <coughs> the following affirmation from the Council on Secular Humanism is an excellent brief statement of what we unbelievers believe. We believe in optimism rather than pessimism, in hope rather than despair, in learning in the place of dogma, in truth instead of ignorance, in joy rather than guilt or sin, in tolerance in place of fear. We believe in love instead of hatred, compassion over selfishness, beauty instead of ugliness, and reason rather than blind faith or irrationality. I think that's a wonderful statement. It is simply not true that humanists are not moral. Most humanists not only lead moral lives, many are also leaders in efforts to make the world a better place for everyone. They are committed to freedom, to equal rights for women, for people of all races, all religions, all nations, and all sexual orientations. I could give you many examples of what uh, humanists, uh, who, uh, of humanists who have done great things. In fact, if you go on the American Humanist Association website, you can find a list of all the humanists of the year for the last, what is it, 40, 50 years, and there's a list of people who have contributed enormously to uh, betterment of our society. But instead of list listing a lot of such things and people, I want to give you one example. A woman named Tina Strobos. Tina Strobos, who died recently at the age of 91, saved over 100 Jews from the Nazis in Amsterdam during the Second World War. She saved them by hiding them in her home and helping them escape to England or Sweden, always, of course, at extreme risk of her own life. Why did she, in her early 20s, take such risks? Here's what she said. I never believed in God but I believed in the sacredness of life, humanism. Many people think that ethical principles come from God, but that is not true. Studies have shown that ethical principles and values arose first, and only later were they attached to religion. Primitive religion had no ethical content. It was all about trying to get the gods to, bring, to, to cause rain to happen or sun to shine, or that sort of thing, but, and so they could grow their crops. Ethical principles came from human experience and from using our minds, our reason, to determine the best action in any given situation. The fundamental ethical principle for humanists, in my view, is reverence for life. In the realm of personal relationships, reverence for life means love and compassion for others. Love in the sense of caring for another person enough to seek that person's well-being. Acts of love include everything from driving a neighbor to the doctor or visiting someone in the hospital or paying the heating bill for someone you know who could not pay their bill. Working for social justice is an act of love. Bringing up a child to be open-minded and caring is an act of love. In the larger social realm, reverence for life means social justice, and it means working for racial justice, for better health care in America, advocating for a living wage for all workers, and working for better educational opportunities for everyone. Applied to uh, the natural world, the ethical principle of reverence for life becomes trusteeships, treating the natural world with reverence and serving as trustees to see that its resources and beauty are here for our grandchildren. Uh, so obviously, from the skit this morning, something you are very committed to. Uh, too many people today are seeking, or rather not too many people, a lot of people today are seeking spirituality. 
Some humanists have rejected the idea of spirituality because they associated it, they associated it with supernaturalism. But there is a humanistic spirituality. Uh, there's an article in the latest the Journal of Religious Humanism. Anybody get that journal, Journal of Religious Humanism? Uh, well, we should take a list of your names and I'll see that you get one. But anyway, uh, it's a good little publication. Anyway, there's an article entitled uh, Rationalistic Spirituality. I haven't read it yet, but I'm looking forward to reading it maybe even this afternoon. So just as we can be good without God, so can we, we can be spiritual without spirits. <laughs> you know, I like that line too. I suggest that spirituality refers to the longing for deeper and more meaningful relationships with others and with the natural world, and to that dimension of our lives that deals with values and truth, with meaning and love, integrity, joy, and happiness. That's what spirituality refers to, to me, all those good things that all of us affirm. It has to do with how and why we live. Thus, it is, a, it is an umbrella term to signify all those things that make us more truly human. It doesn't have to have anything to do with a transcendent deity. It is a way of being rather than a way of knowing. It refers to the quality of our lives in the here and now. My short definition of spirituality is simply that spirituality is a way of living an ordinary life in an extraordinary way, what most of us are trying to do. When we ask basic questions of life, such as why we are here, where did the universe come from, what happens when we die, we are engaging in a spiritual quest. When we struggle to make our lives meaningful or comprehend how we fit into the larger scheme of things, when we experience awe and wonder, reverence, love, beauty, creativity, we are living in the realm of the spiritual. The astonishment and amazement we feel when we contemplate the natural world in its majesty and complexity is surely a spiritual experience. Here is an excerpt from a 1920 essay by one of the uh, pioneers of Unitarian religious humanism by the name of Curtis Reese. Here's what he says and has said in 1920 about spirituality. Humanistic liberalism understands spirituality to be man at his best. I, don't, I won't try to degenderize that, but please note that it doesn't mean just male people. Spirituality is man at his best, sane in mind, healthy in body, dynamic in personality, honestly facing the hardest facts, conquering and not fleeing from his greatest troubles, committed to the most worthwhile causes, loyal to the best ideals, ever hoping, striving, and achieving. To know oneself as inherently worthful, actually to find fullest expression in the widest human service and curiosity, or unconsciously rather, to become a co-worker with cosmic processes, that is spiritual experience, deep and abiding. Many humanists, myself included, are religious naturalists. Some of you read my uh, earlier book entitled Reason and Reverence, subtitled of Religious Humanism for the 21st Century, in which I talk a lot about religious naturalism. Religious naturalism means that we find meaning and value and spiritual value or religious value in the natural world. I am filled with awe and wonder, for example, when I look up at the night sky, glittering with the lights of millions of stars, most of them larger than our sun, and at distances far beyond my ability to even imagine. I'm amazed by the vastness of the universe, at the complexity of my own body, at the ability of, my, uh, of the human brain, at the beauty of trees and flowers, 
at the abilities of birds to fly long distances halfway around the world and to return to their homes, at the abilities and beauties of other non-human animals. In short, we live in an amazing world, and to be filled with astonishment and wonder at it is a spiritual or religious experience. The late scientist and humanist Carl Sagan put it beautifully in these words, when we recognize our place in an immensity of light years and in the passage of ages, when we grasp the intricacy, beauty, and subtlety of life, then that soaring feeling, that sense of elation and humility combined, is surely spiritual. Carl Sagan. Critics of humanism say that humanism does not give adequate answers to such basic questions as the meaning of life and how to cope with suffering and death. I disagree. And 20-some years ago, 22 years ago, I guess it was, I wrote my first book entitled A Faith for All Seasons to describe one humanist's views on this, these matters. For humanists, to me at that time and still, the meaning of life is not something given to us from a source outside us. It is something we do. We are the meaning makers. We are the ones who make our lives meaningful. We do this in a number of ways. By enjoying simple everyday things, the beauty of the natural world, for example, the pleasures of family life, the joys of friendship, the companionship of those we love. We find meaning in working to make the world a better place through charitable work and through social justice work to change the unjust structures of our society that cause suffering. Within the last few years, a distinguished scientist and eminent theologian have written books, quite independently apparently, in which they equate creativity with God. The scientist, Stuart, whose name is Stuart Kaufman, an eminent scientist, in, I believe is in uh, the University of Edmonton in, uh, in uh, Calgary. Anyway, uh, Stuart Kaufman has left traditional religion behind, but he still wants to attain a sense of the sacred in life. And he finds that sacred quality in creativity. Creativity, he suggests, is at the heart of things, and it is the very nature of the universe. And then he identifies creativity with God, suggesting that what he means by God is simply creativity. He writes, God is our chosen name for the ceaseless creativity in the natural universe, the biosphere, and human cultures. He comes to this conclusion because, and I quote again, this creativity is stunning, awesome, and worthy of reverence. And he goes on. Is it, then, more amazing to think that an Abrahamic, transcendent, omnipotent, omniscient God created everything around us, all that we participate in, or that it all arose with no transcendent creator God all on its own? I believe the latter is so stunning, so overwhelming, so, un so worthy of awe and gratitude and respect that it is God enough for Many of us, I like that phrase, <laughs> God enough. Uh, God, he says, is a fully natural God is, and is the very creativity of the universe. Well, the theologian, whose name also is Kaufman, he's at Harvard, but he spells his name his Kaufman with two Fs instead of one, so they spell it differently and they're not related. Anyway, the theologian proposes, and I quote, serendipitous creativity as a metaphor more appropriate for thinking of God today than such traditional image or concepts as creator, love, uh, Lord, rather, or Father. God as creativity, he says, is not a personal God, as the Western faiths have maintained, 
because in today's world it is no longer possible to think of God in traditional anthropomorphic terms. I think all of us would agree with that part anyway. As a humanist, I don't know why we should give the name of God to, to creativity. Why not just call it creativity? <laughs> why do we have to deify it? To me, the word creativity is sufficient without identifying it with uh, deity. Nevertheless, I think those who think of God as creativity are telling us something important. Namely, that creativity is at the center of this universe, and since we are the product of the creativity of the universe, very much at the center of our lives as well. They are telling us that the very nature of matter energy is creativity, and that creativity is worthy of being called sacred. That much I think I can agree with. Creativity is, of course, the process of bringing something new into being, and it is a fundamental quality of the human species that makes our lives meaningful. And so I'm still talking about uh, how we make our lives meaningful, and my point is simply that creativity, being creative, is one of those ways. Each of us has come into the world as a result of the creative process that brought the sperm and the egg together, and uh, continued in our growth into something new and unique, unlike anything else in the entire universe. And many of us have experienced the joy of being part of the creation of new life. In other words, we have the lives of our children. We can find meaning in our lives by being creative in other ways. We find meaning in creating things, painting, music, writing poetry or prose, creating delicious food, making beautiful gardens. Creativity adds meaning and purpose to our lives. There are so many ways in which we are creative when you stop to think about it. Um, it, it is a, just amazing. We are creative beings. Uh, I have a number of retired friends who have become uh, creators of beauty in the form of painting or knitting or sewing or quilting. Um, that's being creative too. And it means, helps to make their lives meaningful. We look upon suffering and death not as God's punishment for sin, but as a natural part of life. Much of the pain and suffering we human beings undergo is simply due to flaws in the way in which we have evolved. It is random, without purpose, yet such suffering can deepen us in our thinking and can help make us better people. It doesn't always happen that way, but it can. It sometimes does. It can also make us more sensitive and caring toward others whose lives are filled with pain. There's a chapter in the new book on empathy. And um, it starts off with a quotation from Barack Obama, now President of the United States, but that quotation comes from when he wrote his first book, Good Dreams from My Father. He writes about empathy, that it is something that his mother taught him when he was quite young, when he would, would uh, tell her about something that he did that was in the nature of bullying, for example. She would say, well, now you need to think about how you would feel if that happened to you, somebody did that to you. And he goes on to say that empathy is very important to him in both his life and in his politics. And uh, I think that's a, a marvelous thing. I hope it's still true. I think it is. But at any rate, uh, the chapter on empathy talks about empathy and uh, how important it is. And it mentions the fact that, as some of you probably know, neuroscientists have concluded, at least some have, that we have uh, in our brains uh, mirror neurons, neurons that reflect how other people feel. Uh, when we are in touch with those, those events or those people. Um, and some people may not have as many or as well-functioning neurons, mirror neurons, as others, it seems to me. But empathy is so important, I think, in our interest in uh, making the world a better place 
and interested in doing social justice work. Let me say a word about life uh, beyond death. We know, most of us as humanists do not believe that we live on, except in the memories of those we love and in the contributions we have made to making the world a better place. We live on in the positive influences we've had and in the good that we have done. One final point. <clears throat> this will take a couple minutes more only. A major recent survey shows that the number of Americans with uh, religious affiliation is declining. Um, is now about, without religious affiliation, and now about 20% of the population. One out of five people in our country no longer have any religious affiliation. Some of you, I'm sure, have seen that uh, publicized in newspapers. Some, but not all of these, are humanists and don't know it. <laughs> At least if we don't know that they know it. Humanist organizations, I think, should be reaching out to those people. Their numbers will be growing um, as our nation becomes more secular following the Western European democracies in that respect. Another study, this is a worldwide study of uh, several years ago, has shown rather convincingly that uh, three things lead to greater religious skepticism. I find this very interesting. I hope you will too. One of these three is called, is what they call uh, existential security. In Western Europe, for example, governments provide a safety net that protects people from financial hardship, provides health care and medical care without cost, and a, and a comfortable re retirement. It seems that when people frequently face life-threatening dangers from illness or disease, when they suffer from hunger and malnutrition, where life expectancy is, is low and infant mortality rates are high, in those circumstances, supernatural religion can play an important part in their lives. On the other hand, where people are not so vulnerable to such concerns, but are protected by public policies, religion recedes in importance. Now you know why the right wing is against uh, social justice work and uh, against uh, welfare and, and uh, uh, other things that help people when they're down, including health insurance. A public option and so forth. Anyway, a supernatural God is not needed to save people from a disease or financial ruin where they have assurances that they will come through these because of government policies. So that's very interesting. When, when people have existential security, natural, supernatural religion tends to recede considerably. The second thing that leads to the decline of traditional religious belief is education, especially science education. That should be no surprise. In Western Europe, 75% of the people believe in evolution, and over 50% are atheists or agnostics. As you know, in our country, the figures are reversed. Over half of Americans reject evolution, and about 80% say they believe in God. And some polls, even 90%. Even, it depends on how the question is asked. Every, even education in general leads to greater religious skepticism. Studies have shown that each year of college reduces the religiosity of students by 7%. The third, I'm, I'm guessing that most of you are college educated. The third reason for the decline in religious belief in Europe and, and here has to do with an emphasis on consumer goods and consumption. The proliferation of consumer goods and the ability to purchase them turns people's interests away from spiritual matters to material matters. 
In every society where these three factors exist, traditional religion is in decline. The process is slower here than it is, has been in Western Europe because we have a weaker safety net and poor science education, but nevertheless it is happening. Slowly but surely we are becoming a more secular nation, and to me that means a greater opportunity for humanist communities. A society that is becoming increasingly secular presents a challenge to humanists to be clear about what we stand for and to emphasize the positive humanistic values that are at the heart of who we are. It must be our task to stand for human values in a secular society that is dehumanizing often and that risks becoming consumed by anti-human materialistic values. This is not a new humanism, but it is a reaffirmation of the pro-human values that humanism has always stood for. The essence of humanism is the value and dignity and centrality of human beings. Not human beings in the abstract, but concrete, actual human beings, many of whom are poor and hungry and barely able to survive, many of whom are oppressed and marginalized, many of whom live in despair without hope. It is a humanism that cares, a humanism with a heart for those who are suffering, and it is therefore a vital and viable and practical perspective for today. However, humanism is a religious and philosophical perspective that makes sense today in the 21st century, in my view, more than it ever has before, that speaks to our time in a meaningful and powerful way, a perspective grounded in the natural, not in the supernatural, a perspective that emphasizes the worth and dignity of human beings rather than the glory of God, a perspective that understands living well and social responsibility to be of far greater importance than personal piety. We humanists can be proud of who we are and what we stand for. Thank you.